Well, hello again. Now, whether you're joining us here in the Interim Worship Center or you're joining us on the Summit, again, we're glad to have you this weekend. Inside your program, there is a message note sheet, which is a great tool that's going to help you follow along. Or if you want to draw a picture while I'm talking, have at it. I'm going to go ahead and uh, pray, and we're going to jump in. Father, we're here to celebrate the fact that you are big and present in our lives. And so as we open up your word, as we see what it is you have to teach us, let me as the communicator become less and let you as our one true king become more. Jesus, speak directly to us in the words that we all need to hear and just continually give us the encouragement and the reminder that God is with us. In your son's name, we all said, amen. So again, if you're here for the very first time, I not only want to welcome you again, but I want to take a few minutes and bring you up to speed on the series we've been in. You see it up on the screens. A few weeks ago, we started a brand new series called The Genesis Chronicles, The Story Begins. Now, this series is actually the first in what's going to become an epic trilogy, because at Rocky Peak, we like epic trilogies of series. And what we're going to be doing throughout this entire trilogy is we're going to be focusing, focusing on the first three chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 3. Now, the reason why we're focusing on these first three chapters is that Genesis 1 through 3 are arguably some of the most important chapters in the Bible in that they set the very important foundation that we need for the entire God story that's going to be playing out throughout the entirety of Scripture. If you've been with us, Mike has been using the analogy of an epic novel or an epic series of novels. That what a good author does is at the beginning, in the opening couple of chapters, they give you everything you need to understand the story that's going to play out. So usually at the opening, you're introduced to the main characters. Usually in the opening, you're introduced to the time, to the place. You're introduced to the plot line and the conflicts, and all of that is going to lead to a giant climax or a crescendo in the story. Similarly, what we have in the opening three Bibles of Genesis is that God is laying the foundation for the God story. We're being introduced to the main character, God. We're being introduced to the main conflict, sin. And he's starting to lay the foundation for what's going to be redemption through Jesus and eventually into the bigger story that's going to be fully wrapped through the book of Revelation. Now Moses, the author of Genesis, he initially wrote this book to the nation of Israel to inform them, to paint a deeper picture of who the God is that saved them from slavery in Egypt, but also based on who God actually is, who are they and what part do they play in the bigger God story? And so these last couple of weeks, we've been introduced to the main character, God. And who have we been introduced to? We've been introduced to a wonderful creator who out of his limitless power spoke the universe into creation. And so the series up to this point, we've been taking our time looking at the six days of creation. Now, regardless of whether you see those six days as six literal 24-hour days, whether you see them as six eras, whether you see those six days as a literary metaphor for something else, regardless of that, what we see is our amazing creator, his creativity, his brilliance, and his intentionality as he creates from raw material that he speaks into existence, as he carefully prepares the cosmos and the universe for the high point in creation, human beings, men and women. Now today, what we're going to be doing is we're done looking at the six days of creation, but the week isn't over yet. There's still a seventh day. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to specifically be looking at the seventh day in our Genesis passage today. Now, again, if you've been with us, you might remember that multiple times in talking about the creation account, Mike has highlighted the fact that God blesses three times in the creation week. He blessed creatures. He blessed man and woman. And what we're going to see today on the seventh day is we're going to see the third blessing. But what's going to be very unique about this is the first two blessings were towards created living things. This third blessing is going to be a blessing towards an actual entire day. And specifically the act that occurs on this day. So what we're going to look at through the seventh day is God introducing rest. Now, especially as we look at God's view of rest, what we're going to see is that when God talks about rest, he means something radically different than what we often mean when we talk about rest. As we dig into the seventh day, what we're going to see today, that God's definition, the biblical definition of rest, is very countercultural to what many of us know. We're going to see that God defines rest as something much bigger, as something much deeper than we see, but more importantly, God defines rest as something absolutely essential for the Christ follower. A few weeks ago, Alan Fadling, the author of The Unhurried Life, was here being interviewed by Dave. And I love his book. And there in the front of your note sheets, I put a quote that I like. He writes, God knows the value of rest. He himself rested and he has designed us to rest regularly. Sabbath is no afterthought. Rather, Sabbath rest is primary and our good work grows out of that rest. And taking that truth, if Sabbath is primary, then we need to have a better understanding of what God means by rest. And so there in your note sheets, if you open them up, you've got a section titled The Seventh Day. And if you've got your Bibles, open them up. If you've got an app, turn them on. We're going to be going to Genesis chapter 2. So starting from the very beginning of chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. So that's what we were talking about. The six days of creation have been completed and we're moving on to the seventh day. Verse 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Now, if you have your Bible and a pen or on your app, the ability to highlight, I would love for you to make a note of the word rested, because that is the core issue we're going to be talking about. Now, we're going to specifically be looking at verse 2 and 3 in this account, and it's just two verses, but there's a lot there. And so let me start unpacking verse 2. What we see already is that verse 2, the beginning of this seventh day, is uniquely different from the six days that preceded it. Because the six days that preceded it all had the same bookend statements. The seventh day does not have these statements. Let me explain what I mean by that. The preceding six days all started with the phrase, and God said. 
Now, that was God's act of creation, which it led to the specifics of what he created on that day. Mike talked about it led to the Hebrew word bara, which means to, correct, to, to, to create. He spoke this into existence. So we see already in the seventh day that we are not starting with a bara act. Now, secondly, the second book in the way all of those days ended is different from the seventh day. The first six days ended with the statement, and there was was evening and there was morning. Now again, regardless of your view of were these literal or eras of your view of the six days, what this closing statement indicates is the passage of time. And so as we see what these statements are indicating is it means that day is over. So the fact that we do not have a time indicator on the seventh day tells us something very important. It tells us that what is going to occur on the seventh day was not meant to be finite. It tells us that what was to occur on the seventh day, which is rest, was meant to be that we as creation were designed and created to live in perpetual rest. So now we see the uniqueness of how it's structured. But let's dig into that word we highlighted, the word rested. See, in the original language in the Hebrew, that word means sabbat, which is the root where we eventually get the word Sabbath from. Now that word has a very simple definition. It means to abstain or to cease from work. And so what we need to do is we need to paint a very different picture of what God means by rest compared to what we mean. And so do you understand by using that word sabbat, what we are being told is that God's rest has nothing to do with physical fatigue. That's how we tend to think of rest, right? We're tired. And so the picture here is not that God is collapsing in some cosmic mattress after a heavy week going, man, that was tough. (laughs) That is not the picture of God resting. But rather, when we dig into the context of the original language, what we are seeing is that God rested, meaning that God chose to cease his creative work. And he rested by celebrating in his creation. Do you remember the phrase he used after he created on the six days? He looked at it and said, it is good. And so the picture we have for this Hebrew word is God is not tired. We do not have a God that tires, but rather he is looking at the entirety of his creation and he is enjoying his creation. I get this picture, a friend of mine up north, um, he has the hobby that he restores classic cars. And when I was up there visiting him a few years back, he was telling me about this one particular project that it had taken him months and months to restore this engine in this classic car. And he was telling me that after he had finally finished this engine, he still had a lot of time he could devote to it. He still had other parts because more needed to be done with this car. But instead, he chose to go into his backyard, grab a lawn chair, go into his kitchen, grab his favorite beverage, which was a nice cold Dr. Pepper, go and he parked that chair and he sat and stared at that car and just enjoyed his work. That's the picture we have of God resting. It is not a picture of a God who is fatigued, but it is a picture of a God who is enjoying his creation. So now he enjoys it so much that God does something very unique towards his creation. 
excuse me, towards this act of rest, he blesses it. So let's read in verse 3. Then God blessed, again, if you have the ability to highlight, that's another word to highlight. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now again, I mentioned this at the top. This is the first time we're seeing God bless a day or a specific action that takes place on a day. Now, the word blessed or to be blessed or that was a blessing is a word that we often use in our church vernacular, right? But it's also one of those words that a lot of people use often, but we may not be entirely sure what it means. Now, in terms of what it means for us to be blessed, I'm going to come back to that later on in the message. But right now, we're dealing with blessed as in God himself blessed something. And so when we dig into the original language, When God blesses something, whatever it may be, it means that he praises it. Or another word that I love because it paints a clear picture, it means that he adores it. And so let this sink in for a minute. God adores rest. He blessed it because he adores it. And then he went on to say he made this day holy. And again, that's another one of our church words, isn't it? But at its very simplest definition, to be holy means to set apart, to be a special uh, possession for God. And so, for example, in the New Testament, we, Christ followers, we're called to be holy. That means we're called to live differently than the world around us because we belong to God. So another way of saying that this is a holy day is the fact that it's to be consecrated. Now, what it means to consecrate something is that you dedicate it to God for a special purpose. And in the Old Testament, we see examples of this, as in firstborns were dedicated to the Lord. Priests were dedicated to the Lord. The tabernacle and the temple were dedicated to the Lord, meaning that they were especially devoted to him. And so what we're seeing is God modeling this in that the seventh day, the act of rest is something sacred that is to be devoted to God. Are you starting to see through these simple, through just these two verses, that this concept of rest is much bigger than not only we as a culture, but we as Christ followers tend to tend to see it. That we often see rest as something that involves physical fatigue or a nuisance. But the reality that we don't want to miss through these passages is that rest really is not rooted in physical energy or fatigue, but rest is rooted in relationship. And here's what I mean. Our God rested by enjoying creation. We as created beings rest by enjoying our creator. That is what it means to Sabbath. Is that I am in the presence of my creator, my God, and I am enjoying it. And so... If you think about the world Adam and Eve were created to live in, this Eden, this sense of perpetual rest, 
Adam and Eve were not created to sit in lawn chairs 24-7 with a cup of something that had a little umbrella in it or something. They were created to work. They had jobs. But Sabbath, divine rest, means that even though they had jobs, even though they had responsibilities, they were never to lose their utmost priority. And that means that their number one priority in life was to continue to develop, continue to deepen, and continue to mature in the relationship with their creator. And through that relationship, they will find rest. That is what it means to Sabbath. Now, what we see in the seventh day is God model this for his creation. One of the things that I value so deeply about God, one of the things I value so deeply about Jesus is that the life they've called us to lead is one that they have modeled first. And so we see through this account God modeling the the value of rest, the enjoyment in creation and the creator. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a parallel of how this plays out to people through the lives of the nation of Israel. So if you look there on your note sheet, you've got a couple of verses from Exodus, um, from Exodus chapter 20. And after I put those, those two verses in there, I'm like, you know what? Let's just take a field trip and see the whole thing for ourselves. So grab your Bibles and your apps and turn a little bit to your right to Exodus chapter 20. Now, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to unpack a lot of what's going on. I'm just going to hit a few big picture comments on this. But the main heart in this is to see the parallel between the seventh day and the command to rest. And so before we dig into Exodus chapter 20, let me paint a picture of what's going on. So we're dealing with the iconic scene of Moses and the Ten Commandments. So go ahead and picture Charlton Heston coming down from the mountains And often, we have a bad view of what the Ten Commandments were and what they mean. In that, we often view the Ten Commandments as being soulless rules that a totalitarian God wants us to obey blindly. But the truth of the Ten Commandments could be nothing nothing further from that. The reality is that the Ten Commandments were basically the reboot for the nation of Israel. Here are these people that have been led out of slavery that were looking to create a new nation where God is the head. They were wanting to follow after Yahweh and learn what it actually meant to live after him. So the Lord gave them these commandments. And if you look at the 10 with honest eyes, what you see is that at their root, the 10 commandments are ways to love God better and they're ways to love people better. The Ten Commandments are highly relational. And so for a people that's learning how to love God better, we were given ten. These are the essentials, so to speak. And if you start from the very beginning, the first one is no other gods, then no idols, then don't take God's name in vain. And we sit there and go, awesome, great. And then what's number four? What is the fourth most important thing we could learn as human beings? And it's rest. So let's take a look. Exodus 28 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. So once again, do you see that parallel to Genesis 2 where we were? Once again, do you see the fundamental value and the weight that the Lord puts on rest? And once again, we're reminded that rest is not focused on us, but it's focused on our relationship with him. And that is what it means to Sabbath. See, Sabbath, God's rest, is always a much big picture concept. Because again, we often only look at it as a physical need. But in God's rest, yes, we are restored physically, but we are also restored emotionally, relationally, and more importantly, spiritually. That is what it means to rest. And that is why the Lord weighted it with such importance. Now, if you've been with us in this series, you've heard Mike say numerous times that we as a race were created to be like God. We were created to be like God in our core character, meaning to value what God values, to make a priority what God priorities, to live as he modeled for us to live. And Mike has also said this statement that we were created to live under the blessing of God. We were created to be blessed. Remember I said earlier that we often don't have a complete understanding of that word. Because often when we use the word blessed, we use it in a transactional statement. I received something, therefore I was blessed. This bad thing didn't happen to me, therefore I was blessed. Now hear me very clearly, that is not wrong and that is part of being a blessing. But being blessed by God is something so much bigger. Meaning that to be blessed, to live under God's blessing at its core of that word means that we live in right relationship with our God meaning that our relationship has been restored with our God, meaning we were created to live under the blessing of God, but because of sin, we lost that opportunity and we now were condemned to live the cursed life. But because of the love of Jesus, what he did is he took our penalty, he built a bridge and Jesus takes us from the cursed life to the blessed life meaning we can now live in right relationship with God. And so what that means is we can now reclaim our original design and identity. We can reclaim the truth that we were created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. And that means we can now live once again the way we were designed to live. And so the point of this within our context is that when we are choosing to regularly rest, to regularly Sabbath in God, we are choosing to live under his blessing. See, as we look at Sabbath rest in the Old Testament, 
you need to understand that for us in 2014, rest is not just an Old Testament concept. The New Testament writers, Paul, we're going to see a little bit later, the writer of Hebrews, they spoke about Sabbath and they waited it just as much as God did. Jesus himself modeled the value of resting in God. In fact, Jesus often went during his ministry and found times to just be alone before God because he knew that his work, that his power, that his ministry flowed out of his rest in God. The biggest difference between Sabbath in the Old Testament and Sabbath for us now in 2014 is that because of Jesus, Sabbath is no longer, no longer needs to be contained to a specific day. But now, because we are restored and we walk in the daily presence of our Savior any day, any moment, any location can be a sacred, holy place, can be a moment of Sabbath between you and your creator. And so in our passages today, we have seen the value that God has for rest. But what I want to do with the time we have left is I want to unpack a little bit further just how different God's rest, God's Sabbath is compared to how we often define it in our culture, just so we're clear about what God means through rest. So there on your note sheet, there's a section titled, A Bigger View of Rest. And your first fill-in is this, we are designed for Sabbath rest. We are designed for Sabbath rest. If you were with us last week, I'm using the same language that Dave used when he was talking about our design. See, again, the series up to this point has been reclaiming our identity, the Imago Dei. And so we need to understand our design so that therefore we can live the way we were created to live. And one of the most important things we need to understand about Sabbath is that Sabbath rest is not an add-on to the car, but it is a fundamental part of the engine. It's not an option because we are designed to rest. So over these last couple of weeks, as I've been reflecting, as I've been preparing this message, I started to realize something about how I view rest. I view rest very narrowly, meaning that when I define rest, it only has to do with physical fatigue. But as I dug into that more, as I looked deeper as to why do I view rest, I saw a bigger problem in that I have such a narrow view of rest because I have bought our culture's definition of what rest is. If you look at our culture, regardless of how they define specific rest, does our culture have a high view of rest? No, it doesn't. Rest is almost something that's become vilified in our culture's view. In fact, if you take an honest look of how our culture defines rest, two key definitions come up. Rest is either in afterthoughts, meaning rest is not something I plan for. Rest is not something that I work towards. Rest is something that happens because I collapsed on the kitchen floor. Or the other way our culture defines rest is that rest is what weak people do. You need to rest because you're not strong enough. You're not cut out for this career. You're not cut out for this. 
hey, I'm going to sleep when I'm dead. In fact, if you think about it, we have multi-million, if not multi-billion dollar corporations in our world whose sole devotion is to give us products that ensure we don't sleep. And like many of you, I'm somebody that has pumped thousands of dollars into them because to me, I sit there and go, well, I can't rest and I need something to keep going. Now, like many people, I have vacillated between both those definitions of culture, cultural definitions of rest. There's many times where I hold both of them at the same time. But whether it's me or anybody else, when we as Christ followers, when that is how we view rest, then what we need to do is we need to understand that we are completely and utterly missing the point. What we need to do is what God does best is we need to let his word, his teaching, and his wisdom come into our minds, pull a Romans 12 where he transforms the way we think and therefore makes us new. And it starts with our view of rest because rest is not a burden. It is not an afterthought. Rest in God is a gift. And when I don't rest, I am denying an incredible gift. But not only am I denying an incredible gift, I'm denying that my creator knows me better than I know myself. Many of you know, as I've been up here, I've talked often about the fact that I'm a proud parent. I've got two kids. And I had heard other parents talk about this experience. And it finally happened to me a few months ago that I'm driving in the car. It's just me and my son, Gabriel. And Gabriel's two and a half. And I don't, we're in Simi Valley somewhere. I don't remember where we were going. Knowing me, we were probably going to go get donuts. So we're driving somewhere. And out of nowhere, my son just goes, Daddy, turn right here. I kind of look to the right, and it's not a place to turn, but regardless, it wasn't the direction we're going in. We're going this way. So I'm like, well, Gabriel, I'm not going to turn. We'll go this way. And he says it again. Well, Daddy, turn right. I'm like, well, Gabriel, like, that's not where we're going. We need to go in this direction. And then he does it again. Daddy, turn right. And now I'm like checking myself, because I'm like, is the Holy Spirit speaking through this kid? Is something, <laughs> is something happening? And I'm looking, I'm like, I'm not lost. And I'm like, no, like, that's not where we're supposed to go. I'm like, Gabriel, like, we're going to go straight because that's where we're supposed to go. And he responded by getting really angry with me. Now think about the absurdity of this picture that my two-year-old is trying to give me directions. But at the same time, the absurdity of that picture is the absurdity that I do, that we do before the Lord, in that he has designed us, he is leading us in a direction that is best for us, and our response is to say no. You know what I've seen in my own life and what I've seen in years of being in vocational ministry with many Christ followers? Is that rest is something that so many of us flat out refuse to do. We flat out refuse to accept it. We're down with all these other things the Lord gives us. We're down with these other priorities. And here's one that is a clear priority. Our response is no. And we are missing out. See, here's the core truth about the fact that we are designed for rest. You and I, we will never feel right in how we live our lives, lives if we continually live in the opposite of how we were created to be. 
We will never feel right if we continue to choose to live in the opposite of how we were designed to be. Rest is not an add-on. It is an essential. And so we've seen the value. We've seen that it's part of our design. Well, now we need to tackle the billion-dollar question. Therefore, what does it mean to rest in the Lord And when it comes to a true Sabbath rest, I can sum it up in one word, worship. And so there on your note sheet, that leads me to your next fill-in, we worship God through our rest. We worship God through our rest. There in your note sheet, I jumped ahead in the life of the nation of Israel to Exodus 31, And it says, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Now, the reason I included this verse is because what we see in this verse is a call to worship. Because again, worship is one of those church words we use often in our vernacular, and worship is a very big thing. But to go to its very core, what it means to worship is that it means that you and I as Christ followers are acknowledging and we are celebrating the presence of God in our lives. When we worship, we are acknowledging And we are celebrating the fact that we have a living, a real, and an active God in our lives. That is the heart of worship. Now, the beautiful thing about worship is there are numerous ways to acknowledge and celebrate the presence of our Creator. The fact that we are gathered in this moment to listen to the public teaching of Scripture is an act of worship. But when you are sitting in your kitchen counter by yourself with a cup of coffee reading Scripture, that is an act of worship. When we get together with a band and they lead us in songs that are talking about the love of Jesus and how we are so grateful for that love, that is an act of worship when you are pushing a cart through Target with headphones in and you're listening to some of those same songs, when you're in the aisle that sells Tide, that is an act of worship. When we are obeying God in the small things, the easy things, when we are choosing to obey God in the things that are tough and cost us, our obedience is an act of worship. Worship is an acknowledgement and a celebration at the pre, at the, of the presence of God in our lives. And that takes me back to the definition of what it meant that God rested in Genesis 2. Again, God's rest was not rooted in fatigue, but it was rooted in worship. He celebrated his good creation. And so when I Sabbath again, he, I am celebrating our good God. I am celebrating my creator. See, when I choose the Sabbath, what I am doing is in the presence of my king, I am celebrating the fact that our God is living and active in our universe, in our world, and definitely in my daily life. Rest is a call to worship. 
Now, I could break down in various ways how rest is a call to worship, but what I want to do is I want to focus on two specific ways that rest is an acknowledgement and a celebration of God in our lives. Now, these aren't on your note sheet, but I would love for you to jot them down so you can reflect on them later on in the week. So the first way that rest is a form of worship is this. When we rest, we are acknowledging that he is God and I am not. When we rest, we are acknowledging that he is God and I am not. Now, let me take a moment and just be completely honest with you. Preparing this message has been particularly tough for me because this hits at a very strong weakness that I have. As Alan Fadling would say, I am a heavy speed addict. In fact, I relate very much to the character of Speed Racer, that I'm very much, very much shaky, very much have a thousand things going on. My wife likes to give me a hard time that I don't sit still, and I don't sit still because my mind is on a thousand different things. And I need to acknowledge to you that that is not a healthy way to live. But like a speed addict, and I'm sure not only that I'm not the only one, that many of you can relate to this, is that I often find myself not resting in the Lord because I make excuses. And you know the excuse I tend to come back to all the time and most of the time? Is I can't rest. I have too much to do. There's no time to rest because I need to get these things done or I've got deadlines or I got to get my kids to this place. I cannot rest. In fact, I find myself often using the phrase, well, if only I had four, five, six, whatever the number is, if only I had more hours in the day. And you know what would be true? Because I'm a speed addict, if I had more hours, I would fill them up. And so what's been tough in preparing this message is going before the Lord and just laying my life out of him and letting him reveal some unfun things about me. And when it came to this point that rest is an acknowledgement that he is God and I am not, the Lord revealed that my reasons that there's too much to do, that I'm busy, is not the issue that's, called, that's keeping me from resting, but there's something deeper. And in fact, it has more to do with how I view myself. I am not resting because I have a God complex. Because the real reason I'm not resting is that if I slow down and stop, then everything will fall apart without me. Can some of you relate to that? If I slow down in my career, in my pursuit of career, in my academics, whatever it may be, then it will all come crashing down. If I slow down in what I do for my family, then my family will become a failure and it will fall apart. What I realized, it was like the Lord taking a spiritual two by four upside my head that in my life, I am so addicted to speed and I have ignored this truth of rest that I have become the God of my world and I am the reason why my very world spins. And in my in my honest fear, if I slow down to rest, my world will stop spinning and explode. And when I do that, when we become God in our lives, then we eliminate the need for the one true God in our lives. We eliminate the need to worship our king, but more importantly and much more damaging 
when I become God and I become the reason why my world is spinning, then I carry God-sized burdens on my human-sized shoulders. I carry a burden that I was never created to carry. Sabbath rest is about intentionally slowing down. It's about experiencing and embracing, embracing the truth that God is just that, God. And Sabbath rest is about those burdens being lifted on you as you embrace that truth and being washed over with a huge sense of relief. Because if I was God, I would screw this universe up. And I'm so grateful that he knows what he's doing. I can't specifically remember if it was Dave or Mike, but in the last couple of weeks, one of them quoted Job, that if you remember, God said to Job, where were you when I was putting the stars in the sky? Okay, God, you win. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you win. And God bless you for it. Sabbath is resting and being restored in the truth, in the best truth ever, that he is God and I am not. My good friend Waz, who's our college ministry director here at Rocky Beak, he's been reading this book called Slow Church, and he shared a couple quotes with me that were so amazing about Sabbath. I put them there on your note sheet. Sabbath observance requires a leap of faith, a firm confidence that the world will continue to operate benevolently for a day without human labor, that God is willing and able to provide enough for the good life. It takes faith to cease our striving, to trust that God promises seven days of provision for six days of work, and to meet God's gaze. When we Sabbath, we are slowing down to acknowledge that God is God and I am not. But the second way that we worship in Sabbath I want to highlight is that genuine love is developed and deepened at a slow pace. Genuine love is developed and deepened at a slow pace. Alan said something a few weeks ago that really hit me, and I've been chewing on it since then. And he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that it's really hard to love well at light speed. Now again, think about how we've been raised in our culture that we're a culture that's obsessed with speed and instant gratification. In fact, many of our advancements, specifically many of our technological advancements, have been all about making things faster, right? Now hear me very clearly. There are many things where we have advanced in the area of speed that I am grateful for. I do not want to go back to dial-up internet speed. <laughs> do you remember dial-up internet in your homes? Do you remember the phone call? Do you remember the beeps and the haze? Do you remember praying that nobody would call you and knock you off the internet? When I was in high school was the first time. I was a senior in high school. The first time my family had a computer that would connect to the internet. And we had dial-up. We were sent plenty of hours from AOL. And we put in, I put in the little disc. And I remember having a friend over. And it took us three hours to download a two-minute movie trailer. And we thought it was awesome. Because we're sitting there going, this is the future. Now again, hear me clearly, I am so glad that the internet works quicker. 
There are many things in our world that I'm grateful for that they move quicker. But love is not something that can be done well at light speed. Love requires time, it requires genuine effort, and it requires a sustainable pace. To love well means we are taking our time because our relationship with God, whether we acknowledge it or not, but the truth is our relationship with God is going to set the pace for how we love all of our other relationships. If I am attempting to love God at light speed, then that is going to affect how I love my core friends, how I love my wife, and how I love my kids that relationship overflows into everything else. And what it means to have Sabbath rest is that we are taking time to slow down to experience more of the love of God, to experience more of his teaching, his leading, his wisdom in correction. We are taking the time to intentionally slow down and just be with God. Do you know those people in your life that you love? Aren't they people that you can just be with? Aren't they people that you can just sit with and not have an agenda? When was the last time that we just were before God? When was the last time that you came to God, not because of a crisis or not because of something urgent, but because you just wanted to be with your Creator? See, those are those moments where we develop and deepen our love for one another. When we slow down to learn to love God in that, in a sustainable pace, then the return is we begin to get filled up and restored. All of us in our life, we have certain people. We have certain activities. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's a creative endeavor, dancing, singing, music. Maybe it's a good book or a good meal or a particular song or a band. But we have these things that we would all say, man, that fills me up. And what do we mean by that is when we interact with them or we interact with it, what does it do? It fires us up. It takes away our sense of fatigue and we feel like now we can go and live better, right? And so when we slow down to develop our love with God, when we slow down to rest well and to be with our creator, what that does is that fills up our very souls and that fires us up to live well. We need this because otherwise we're not only not going to live well, but we're going to kill ourselves. We can only run at light speed so long before we finally snap. We can only run relationships at light speed before we break them. If we truly value a relationship, if we truly value loving someone, if we truly value loving God, we will slow down to do it well. It is difficult to love at light speed, and Sabbath is developing and deepening your love for God at a slower pace. It is truly soul rest. So as we've talked about this, then the last question we need to wrestle with is how do we make this happen regularly? So there on your note sheets, there's a final section titled Finding Your Rhythm of Rest. And the final fill-in is this. Rest happens when we are intentional. 
rest happens when you and I are intentional. Making rest a priority, regularly practicing this essential of Sabbath is not something that just falls into our laps. I wish it, I wish it would because then it'd be easy. But like the greatest things in our lives, anything that's, that's, a, that's worth pursuing requires genuine effort on our part. Our deepest relationships require effort on our part. And so if we want to be a people who are truly committed to reclaiming our original design, the Imago Dei within us, then we need to be a people who not only take Sabbath seriously, but are making genuine effort towards a regular rest in the Lord in our lives. There in your note sheet, the author of Hebrews writes, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So let's paraphrase it. Let's rest or else we're going to die. Pretty clear picture right there, right? But the words that jump out to me are the words, make every effort. I know for me, when I think of my core relationships in my life, including my relationship with God, I want to be a person that is known by making every effort possible. I'm not a perfect person. I'm going to take missteps, but I still want to make every effort possible. And therefore, as we've established through God's word, if rest, if Sabbath, if being with him is not an add-on, but a fundamental part of the engine, then I need to be a person that is committed to making every effort to rest regularly in the Lord. And the key to that is intentionality. But intentionality is a big thing, and here's what I mean by that. The question each and every one of us needs to determine is what does being intentional look like for you? And what I want to do is I want to speak into that a little bit because we are all very different people. That's the brilliance and the creativity of the Lord, that he's created us to be different. We have different wirings, different interests. We approach him and we worship him differently, and that's great. And so what you need to do is you need to start asking the question, what does being intentional look like for you? But also be okay with the truth that the way you Sabbath may look different than the way I Sabbath, and that's okay. Because we're different. The way we worship, the way we tend to be prone to worship better is different, and that's okay. And in fact, for so many of us, we look at resting, we look at regularly Sabbath, and, the, and it seems like such a daunting thing. Because in Scripture, when it talks about Sabbath, it talks about an entire day. And yes, there are people in this room that you have the opportunity to devote an entire day. And there's many of us in this room that we're sitting there going, where am I going to find a day? And so as you learn what intentionality is for you, your starting point may not be a day. Your starting point may be 10 minutes. But because of Jesus, Sabbath can be any time 
any place, any moment, because as we are now the temple of God, our creator, the person we rest in, is with us always. And so maybe your Sabbath is the drive from your home to work. Maybe the place where you begin to explore your Sabbath is the drive to pick up your kids from an activity or from school. Maybe it's that 15-minute coffee break. Maybe your sacred holy place is your backyard. Maybe it's your block as you walk around it. Maybe it's a particular aisle at Vaughn's. Whatever it may be, the requirements for Sabbath are you and Jesus. And because Jesus is with us, it happens everywhere. Now I could give you practical steps. This week in your life group homework, you're going to be digging more into that, and that's awesome. If you jump into, if you jump on rockypeak.org, we have essentials courses. One in particular, Pursuing God 101, is all about learning how you yourself connect with God best. But rather than me giving you practical steps, the best piece of wisdom I can give you is if you're trying to understand something about your fundamental wiring, how about we go to the one that created us in the first place? See, I'm an Apple guy. I'm part of the Apple cult in that all of my gadgets, my whole world is in the Apple ecosystem. And if something breaks or doesn't work right, what do I do? I go to Apple. I get on the phone with tech support. I go to the store. Why? Because they know this better than I ever could. If I'm trying to understand something essential about how I was created to be, the best thing to do is to go before the creator, the one who knows me and you better than we could ever hope to know ourselves and ask him. And so the encouragement for you is if you're trying to understand what it means to pursue Sabbath intentionally in your life, is to carve out some time to be before the Lord and to ask the question, what does this look like for me? And if you do that, even before you get a response, you're off to a great start because you're sitting before the Lord and you're asking a question. You're Sabbathing. (laughs) I'm going to ask the worship team to come on out and we're going to close our service with a few more songs. As we've talked about, Sabbath worship is acknowledging and celebrating the fact that our Creator is with us. And so why we have some time of music at any service we do at Rocky Peak is because this is one of many ways in which you and I can find rest. And so as we enter this time of music, maybe this is a time where you are going to rest in the Lord by singing and screaming it out. Maybe this is a time where you are going to rest in the Lord by simply standing still and letting the words wash over you. Maybe this is going to be a time where you may need to sit or close your eyes and you need to start asking that question, Father, what does it look like for me to intentionally Sabbath and rest in you? See, the encouragement I want to give you as we go into worship is that for many of us, this idea of regular rest and Sabbath may seem daunting. In fact, for many of us, it may even seem impossible. But as we look through scripture, as we look at our own lives, that is what God excels in, is taking all of those things we call impossible and making them regular parts of our lives. Let him lead and rest in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we find rest in you. 
Thank you that you fill us up. Thank you that when we Sabbath, we are acknowledging and celebrating that we have a living and active Savior who is with us always. Father, I pray that as we sing these songs, I pray that for us as a church, for us as individuals, that this be a brand new beginning in how we run after you. That we be a people that are committed to taking rest back from a culture that hijacked it and going back to its original intention, meaning being before the Lord. That we be a people that are restored, that are overjoyed and fired up because we find ourselves resting in the presence of a loving Savior. Thank you for your words. Thank you for this journey we're on. Thank you that we don't walk alone, Father. And as we take these tithes and offerings, as we receive these gifts, we thank you for the continual provisions for our church. In your son's name, we all said, amen. amen. Why don't you stand up and worship with us? You know, I've, uh, I've been deeply in love with this book, An Unhurried Life, because the Lord has definitely used it to speak to my soul. And this week, I was flipping through it, and a particular quote jumped out to me that I'd like to share with you. At the heart of understanding, the value of the Sabbath is simple trust. The writer of Hebrews says that those who enter God's rest are the ones who share the faith of those who obeyed. In other words, the doorway into experiencing God's rest in our lives is faith. It takes trust in God's faithfulness to choose to stop our work. When we choose soul rest, we are putting our trust in God's work, not our own, and we then experience the gift of Sabbath. And so this week, as we leave this place, remember that we have the opportunity for a brand new beginning. We have the opportunity to deeper embrace our Imago Day. We have the opportunity to realize that we are designed to live in Sabbath. Therefore, let's do just that. Wherever it may be for you, whatever the length it may be, may this be a week where you are finding real divine rest by having regular Sabbath in the arms of your Savior. Amen? Hey, if you'd like to pray with somebody before you leave this place today, to my right, your left is a prayer corner. There's some amazing uh, men and women there that would love to pray with you. Next week is going to be a big weekend for us at Rocky Peak. Uh, our fearless leader, Mike Yearly, is back in the United States, which is awesome. And next week, he's not only going to be back, but Mike's going to be kicking off our second series in the Genesis Chronicles called The Pursuit of Life. Now, inside your program, you're going to find one or two small cards, which are meant for you to be able to use to invite to someone that God may, uh, God may be placing on your heart, because this is going to be a series that's applicable to everyone as we continue to look at how did God design us to live. So we're looking forward to seeing you then. Have a good day.